Well, this is the sixth week of our series, Taking Flight. And in this series, we're learning how God wants to take us on as a project and how he wants to transform our lives from the inside out, how he wants to turn us into the people that he created us to be, the people that deep down inside we want to be. And if you were here a few weeks ago, we saw in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, that God's goal in this transformation project is to actually conform us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. That means that God wants our character to match the character of Jesus Christ. In other words, the way he thinks, he wants us to think. The way that Jesus sees, he wants us to see. The way he loves, he wants us to love. The way that he serves, he wants us to serve. That's God's goal in this project. But see, we're learning that's not gonna happen by just following a list of rules, just making sure that we get all the do's and don'ts right. It's only going to happen as God goes to work and he renews our mind because we're learning this principle. When we see as God sees, see, we're more likely to do as God says. And that's important because we also learn this principle, biblical commands without biblical thinking always results in short-time obedience and long-term frustration. In other words, trying to obey all the rules, obey all the lists, trying to obey all the do's and don'ts without understanding why the Bible teaches that we're to obey these lists, these rules, these do's and don'ts. It's always going to result in incredible frustration. And it's because on our Christian journey, we look at the list, we look at the rules, we look at the do's and don'ts, and we realize, man, we just can't pull it off. No matter how hard we try, we can't follow through. And as a result, we feel frustrated. As a result, we feel guilty. And so we're learning that God is smart enough to know that it's not enough just to say, stop, do better, get it together. Because all of us as Christians, as we try to live the Christian life, we've all tried to stop. We've all tried to do better. We've all tried to get it together. The problem is we keep running up against our own inability to actually change our lives. And so as God, as he seeks to conform our lives into the image of his son, Jesus Christ, God chose to go below the surface. And we discovered that he's working inside of us to renew our minds so that we can begin to see the life the way that he sees life. Because see, we've also learned renewal breaks down our resistance to God's rule in our lives. And that's why God's not focusing on, you know, 10 things that we need to stop doing and 15 things that we need to start doing. Instead, God says, I'm just going to simply focus on renewing your mind. I'm going to focus on renewing how you think. And it's because a renewed mind results in a transformed life. So if we want to be transformed into the person that God created us to be, understand it is only going to happen through the renewal of our minds. And as we've gone through this series, we've learned that a renewed mind is a two-step process. You gotta take off the old, you gotta put on the new. It's kind of like refinishing your floors. If you wanna renew them, you've gotta take off the old, you gotta put on the new. And the degree to which we decide to get into this process, get involved in this process of renewing our minds is to the degree to which we can expect success as we are conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Now, that's all review, okay? And if you weren't here last time, or maybe it's your first week with us, I would encourage you to go online, listen to the message, because this weekend is actually the second half of a message that I started two weeks ago. And I know what some of you are thinking, well, Mike, it would have been nice if you're going to do a two-part message, you would have done them back to back, right? But you had to go to the beach or wherever you went. Well, just so you know, I didn't go to the beach last weekend, okay? I was actually in Haiti. In fact, in Haiti last weekend, I preached the first message in this series. They're beginning the series. They run a little bit behind us. But that's not really why I was there. Uh, Our pastor, John Elise, down in Port-au-Prince, contacted us and he says, we want to buy some property. We want to build a facility. We want to build a campus. And I'm like, man, I don't know about that. And he says, well, you got to come down and see. So I go down 
and uh, he takes me out to see the property. In fact, let me just show you this little video I shot. Watch this. So this is a piece of land. There's Laura in the land. This is a piece of land. There's John Elise in the Hi. land. Down through here. That in Patientville, Haiti costs $412,000. And John Elise only owes $50,000 on it. Three people in his congregation have given $100,000 to make the dream of a future Agape campus a reality. That's pretty impressive. Now, I want you to think about this. In a country where the average annual household income is $1,300 a year, John Elise stood up in front of his congregation and he pitched the vision. Two families came forward and said, we're gonna give you $100,000 each. Another person came forward because they can't get bank loans and mortgages like we do here. He said, I will loan you $100,000, only later to come in and said, I've decided it's not a loan, it's a gift. And then as a congregation, they begin to sacrifice and begin to give. And now they're just 50,000 short. Actually, I have a check for them for $15,000 they don't know about yet. So they're only $35,000 short of having the land paid for because see, they don't want to be indebted to us or anyone else. They want to do this on their own. They are changing the city of Port-au-Prince. Isn't God good? Isn't God good? And I tell you what, see, and you should feel good about that because you bought into the vision, you supported the vision of us starting that church. So that's why I wasn't here last week. This is the second part of a message I started a couple of weeks ago. And in that message, we talked about how we have to go to work in our lives and we have to identify the lies. We have to remove the lies and the half-truths that we have believed many times for years, many times maybe even since our birth. Because these lies that we hold on to, they hold us in bondage to certain habits, certain temptations in our lives. So we have to take off the old. I made a list of some of the lies. Here's an example. God wants me to be happy. That's a lie. 1 Samuel 5, says, obedience to God is better than sacrifice. Here's another lie we sometimes live our lives by. If it doesn't hurt anyone, it must be okay. That's a lie. Anytime you're disobedient as a Christian, it hurts you. That's why Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says, the wages of sin is death. For a Christian, the wages of sin is a death-like existence. Here's another one. I'm a victim, and because I'm a victim, I will never amount to anything. That's a lie. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, if you're a Christian, if you are in Christ, you are a brand new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, everything is new. Here's another lie that we sometimes live by. The end justifies the means. There's actually a university in the community here that believes and lives and operates by that principle. The end justifies the means. Sure, we'll have some fake classes. The end justifies the means. See, that too soon, too soon. Anyway, that's a lie. Because Proverbs 14, 12 says this. There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end is destruction. Here's another lie. It's my life so I can do whatever I want. Not if you're a Christian. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says, hey, guess what? You're not your own. You were bought with a price. Here's another lie that we live by. It's okay for me to punish people who hurt me. That's a lie. 1 Thessalonians 5, 15, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone. So you gotta understand, these are the lies. We have to identify these lies and we have to take off the old. This weekend, we're gonna talk about what it looks like to actually put on the new. Now, let me just say this as I get started. Some of you are going to listen to what I'm going to say over the next few minutes, and this is going to be your response. I can tell you ahead of time. You're going to say, Mike, that makes total sense. 
but I can't do it. It's just too hard. That's you're gonna be responsible. It makes total sense, but it's just too hard. And as a result, you're, you're gonna continue to do the same thing you always do when, when you screw up or you fall to temptation. You're gonna be frustrated and you're gonna feel guilty and you're gonna to come to church and you're gonna pray God. You say, God, I'm gonna rededicate my life. I know I rededicated my life last week, but I really didn't mean it last week, but I really mean it this time. And I'm gonna to go to church more often and I'm gonna pray more often and I'm gonna read my Bible more often. And I know I've threatened it for years, but I'm even gonna get in a small group. That's how serious I am. Here's the problem. The problem is those are the same things that you've been doing for years and they failed you for years when it comes to trying to be the person that God wants you to be. By the way, do you know what the number one default is when there's a problem in our character or there's a struggle or there's a, there's a temptation that keeps just tripping us up over and over again? The number one default, if you've been a Christian for a while or even if you've just been religious, odds are you default to prayer. And I'm gonna say something that I'm, all, I'm, I'm almost uncomfortable saying that's never really stopped me before, but here's the thing. Many of us use prayer as a solution for issues that God never designed prayer to be a solution for. And I say that because, see, I've never met anyone who said, you know, I've had this horrible habit for years that I can't break. Never been able to break it. But now that I started praying about it, I'm fine. I've never heard that. I've never heard someone say, I've been an alcoholic and I've struggled with alcohol all of my life. But once I started praying about it, I'm fine, right? Or I've colored outside the lines morally. I, I've disobeyed God when it comes to the air of morality. But now that I prayed about it, I'm fine. I have never heard that. And it's because God didn't give us prayer as a primary tool for changing our lives. It's kind of like using a hammer to drill a hole, see? A hammer is a wonderful tool if you want to drive a nail. But if you want to drill a hole, a hammer is worthless because a hammer wasn't designed to drill a hole. If you want to drill a hole, you need a drill. But I'm telling you, as long as you're trying to drill a hole with a hammer, you can blame the hammer. You can curse the hammer. You can return the hammer to Home Depot and say that it's defective. But you got to understand the real problem is that you're using the wrong tool. Now, here's the bottom line. Many of us as Christians, we have spent years trying to drill holes with a hammer. And that's why we've never seen any change in our lives. That's why we've never seen any transformation. Because you got to understand, the Bible doesn't offer prayer as the solutions to problems in our character. The Bible offers renewal as the solution to problems in our character. And I'm going to be honest with you. Renewal is going to take some effort. It's going to take some time. Renewal is going to take some work. It's going to require some discipline. But I got to tell you, the rewards are unbelievable because God promises that a renewed mind results in a transformed life. Listen, prayer will not set you free. Jesus said truth will set you free. Prayer will not transform your life. A renewed mind is what will transform your life. And I know what some of you are thinking. In fact, maybe you're visiting for the first time. You're like, I ain't coming back here. This guy's against prayer. Well, that's just stupid. Of course, I'm not against prayer. Don't send me any emails. I'm just telling you, prayer is a hammer and it does wonderful things. But when it comes to your character, you may need a drill. And that may be why you haven't been able to make any progress in certain areas of your life since you became a Christian. Maybe you're just using the wrong tool. So you got to take off the old. What does it mean to put on the new? What does that involve? What does that look like? Let me just define it for you. Here it is. To put on the new means that we learn to counter the specific lies that we're most tempted to believe 
with specific truths from God's word. Let me just say that again. It means that we learn to counter the specific lies that we are most tempted to believe with specific truths from God's word. And it's because, as we saw last time, some of you, as you sit here this weekend, some of you are in bondage. You're all, you're all bound up because of things you learned as children. Some of us are in bondage because of things that, you know, were taught to us about God by all kinds of churches. Some of you, as you listen this weekend, you're in bondage because of things you heard growing up. You were taught by family and friends. Some of us are in bondage to a philosophy that we learn from the world system as it relates to things like sex and marriage and money and how we handle our relationships. In other words, there are certain lies that we've been taught our entire life, and because we've been taught our entire life, we just assume that they are true. And as a result, we live our lives based on lies that just are not true. And so the last time together, we talked about how we need to identify those lies so we can deal with them, so we can get them out of our life. That's how you strip off the old. But not only do we have to strip off the old, now we have to go to work putting on the new. Now, let me tell you how we put on the new. We put on the new by saturating our minds with biblical truth that counters the lies that we tend to believe. And this may mean that you have to move away from just a devotional approach to reading the Bible where you just open the Bible and wherever you open it, you just read a chapter or two. And don't get me wrong, spending time in God's word daily is without a doubt one of the best habits that you can have. But renewing your mind is going to require you to go further than simply reading the Bible. It's going to require you to pray, God, help me find those specific verses that I can commit to memory so that when I'm confronted by those lies, I have specific truths to counter those specific lies. That's what it means to put on the new. And that's going to take some work. That's going to take some discipline, isn't it? So if you have your Bible this weekend... I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter four. Matthew chapter four, Jesus models this principle that we're gonna be talking about this weekend, maybe better than any other principle he modeled in the Bible. And Matthew chapter four is the story when Jesus was tempted by Satan. And if you've been around church for a while, it's a very, very familiar story. But I want you to see how Jesus responded to the specific temptations and the specific lies behind the temptation. Matthew chapter four, beginning in verse one. If you don't have the Bible, that's okay. We'll put the verses up on the screen. It says this, Matthew four, verse one. Then Jesus was led by the spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. One of the greatest understatements in the Bible. Of course he was hungry. He was near starvation, right? The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, Tell these stones to become bread. Let me just say this. All three of these temptations were designed to get Jesus to misuse his power. I mean, understand, Satan's not sitting around under a tree somewhere wondering, hey, is Jesus really the son of God? I promise you, Satan knows that Jesus really is the son of God. He just wants Jesus to take this power that he has and to use it outside the boundaries of God's plan for his life. In other words, he wants Jesus to take matters into his own hand and to do his own thing for his own sake. That's what's behind all three of these temptations. And so the first temptation was, hey, Jesus, just snap your fingers. You can turn those stones into bread. You can do it because after all, you're God. But you got to understand that there's a lie behind the temptation in the same way there's a lie behind every temptation we face in life. The lie behind this temptation is this. Jesus, you have the right to take matters into your own hands and meet your own needs regardless of what God says. 
By the way, are you ever tempted that way? To take matters into your own hands and do things your own way regardless of what God says, regardless of what the Bible says. I mean, the reality is most of us could answer, yeah, Mike, every single day. In fact, for some of you, this is the primary area where your character needs a major overhaul. And it's because, see, somewhere in your life, you bought into the lie, if I have a need, if I have the ability to meet the need, then I have the right to meet the need regardless of what God says. And if we have to compromise our integrity, if we have to disobey God in the process, that's just the way it is. You say, God, that's just the way it works on planet Earth. So Jesus is faced with this temptation. How is he going to respond? Did he pray? No, he didn't pray. It says in Matthew 4, verse 4, Jesus answered, and he quotes from Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So understand what Jesus is doing here. He countered the specific lie with a specific truth from God's word. Now let me ask you a question. If Jesus, the son of God, felt necessary to respond this way, is it any wonder that we fell so often when we're struggling and dealing with temptation in our life? I mean, let's be honest. Most of us, when we face temptation, this is how we respond. I know I shouldn't. I know I shouldn't. I know I shouldn't. And then we do it anyway, right? And then we pray, God, I'm sorry. God, please forgive me. God, please help me not to get caught. You know, God, please help me not to do it again. But Jesus so clearly models this for us. When we face those specific lies, we need to be prepared to counter those lies with specific truths from God's word. So Jesus tells Satan, he says, listen, Satan, it's not about me meeting my needs. In fact, what's more important than me, for, what's more important than me meeting my needs is me obeying my heavenly father. Jesus is like, I realize that man doesn't live by bread alone. Sure, I'm hungry. I haven't eaten in 40 days. I would love to eat. But Jesus says the essence of what makes life worth living is obedience to my Father. And my guess is that every one of us could tell a story of a time when we decided that we were going to meet our need, our way, but yet at the end of the day, we were still unfulfilled. Maybe by doing so, we got what we thought we wanted. We got the deal. We, 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 got, we got the girl, the guy. We got the promotion. We got the raise. See, but then we, had, we realized we had to compromise our integrity in the process. And when it was all said and done, we still felt empty. So Jesus says, hey, there's a lie there, Satan. Yeah, I'm hungry. Yeah, I have the power and I have the ability to meet my needs my way. But the truth is this, Satan, life isn't about fulfillment. It's about a right relationship with my heavenly Father, but do you see how count, Jesus countered the lie with the specific truth from Scripture? Then, he, verse five, the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written. And now Satan quotes the Bible. He wants to get in on this. Okay, he actually quotes um, uh, Psalm ninety-one, verse eleven and twelve, and this is what he says. He will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. So Jesus says to Satan, hey, or Satan says to Jesus, hey, listen, Jesus, throw yourself down. You're not gonna get hurt. You're not gonna die. 
God's already promised that he's going to protect you, that he's going to take care of you, and people will see the miracle, and they will be amazed, Jesus, and they will follow you. Now, let me ask you a question. What would be the problem with that? Because after all, when you think about it, that's why Jesus performed miracles. He didn't just perform miracles so he could feed people, so people would be healed. He performed miracles so that people would know that he was indeed the Son of God, and then they would make the decision to follow him. But once again, there's a lie hidden in this temptation. And the lie is this, Jesus, you got to prove yourself. This is a dog eat dog world you're getting out into, Jesus. You got to prove yourself. In other words, you've got to establish your own reputation through your own actions. And I can guarantee you this, for many of you listening to me right now, your number one character flaw is wrapped around this same temptation. For example, if you really were a man, you would own a Fill in the blank. For me, it would be a Harley, okay? But you, you, you fill in the blank, right? If you really were successful, you would have a, you know. If you really were a woman of the 21st century, you would, you fill in the blank, right? And we constantly feel like we have to perform to prove ourselves. We constantly feel like we have to make ourselves valuable, so whenever we're in conversations, what do we do? We spend our time talking about what we've done. We spend our time talking about what we've accomplished. But once again, I want you to notice what Jesus does. He doesn't pray. He doesn't get into a long, drawn-out argument with Satan. They don't get into a debate. Verse 7, Jesus answered him. It is also written, and he quotes again from Deuteronomy. This time, Deuteronomy 6, 16. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. And so once again, Jesus responds with a specific truth for a specific temptation. And the truth is this, obedience takes precedence over reputation. Obedience takes precedence over reputation. Jesus is like, sure, I could perform. I could impress all of these people, but that is not the driving force in my life. And that's why I'm not going to use my abilities for my own selfish interest. I am here to obey the Father because obedience takes precedence over reputation. Obedience takes precedence over recognition. And let's be honest, we've all been there. Maybe we did something or maybe we bought something because we wanted to impress someone or maybe we wanted to look a certain way. And then later on at night, we're laying in bed and we thought, that was so stupid. Who in the world was I trying to impress? I mean, we've all been there. And it's because there's just something inside of us that feels like I got to prove myself so I can get recognition. I got to prove myself so that I, get the, I, so that I get the credit. But there's a lie, especially when your performance causes you to sacrifice your integrity. And so we need specific truths for specific lies. After all, that's how Jesus handled it. Why aren't we handling it the same way? I mean, what makes us think that we can just try harder, that we can just be better, that we can just be stronger, and somehow we're gonna beat these things? It's not what Jesus did. That's not what he models for us. When you get to verse eight, Satan turns up the heat. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All of this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. In other words, what, what, what Satan is doing here, he's offering Jesus a shortcut. He basically takes Jesus to the top of the mountain and says, look at all these people. I'll have them bow down to you. I mean, isn't that why you came? And maybe Jesus said, yeah. 
aren't these the people that you came to save? And maybe Jesus said, yeah. Say, aren't these the people that you want to recognize you as the savior of the world? And Jesus is like, yeah. So Satan says, I'll give you a shortcut. You can bike past the cross. I'll give you everything you came for. All I want from you, Jesus, is just one teeny weeny little moment of your devotion. That's all I want. So Satan offers Jesus a shortcut. Do you know what the lie was? And I tell you, we face this temptation every day. The lie is this. You can win through compromise. You can win through compromise. So you can compromise on Monday, be back in church by the weekend. No one will even know. In other words, the lie is through compromise, we somehow come out the winner. Through compromising, we can have our cake and eat it too. But as much as Jesus wanted the kingdoms of this world to bow down to him, I mean, that is why he came. How did Jesus respond? Well, verse 10, Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, and he quotes Deuteronomy 6:11, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. In other words, here's the principle. Nothing we can possibly gain that requires us to disobey God. The deal, the girl, the guy, the contract, the car, the house, the boat, whatever it is. Nothing we can possibly gain that requires us to disobey God is worth having. It will never satisfy. It will never be worth it. And I think at this point, Satan thought, yeah, I'm in over my head. I'm out of here, and he leaves. Now, here's the big question. Here's the big question. As you think through those lies that you tend to believe that impact the way you live your life, as you think through those temptations that we all struggle with temptations, the temptation that takes you down over and over and over again, like Jesus, are you willing to fill your mind with the truth of God's word so that at those crucial moments, you can say, it is written. For example, when you feel the pressure to perform in such a way that it will require you to operate outside the boundaries of God's rules, God's precepts, God's principles, God's truth, is there an it is written that immediately comes to your mind? Or is it, I probably shouldn't, I probably shouldn't. I know I shouldn't, but you do it anyway. How about those times when you're tempted to meet your needs your way because you have the resources to meet your needs your way. But you know by doing so, you'll be outside the boundaries of what God has called you to do. And so you begin to justify it. You begin to think, yeah, but I have needs, and yeah, God wants me to be happy, and all the other lies that we buy into. Is there an it is written that comes to mind, or is it, I don't know, I probably shouldn't, I probably shouldn't, and then you do it anyway. Or when you get on the internet and you're tempted to visit a website, you know you shouldn't visit. Are you tempted to cross that moral boundary that the Bible says is wrong? Are you tempted to gossip and slander when you know it's wrong? Is there an it is written that comes to mind? Or is it, I probably shouldn't, but then you do it anyway. I mean, seriously, people, is it any wonder that we fail over and over again? Is it any wonder that we rarely make any progress in our spiritual transformation because the Bible says 
that a transformed life is the result of a renewed mind. And a renewed mind, you gotta take off the old, you gotta take off the lies that you've lived your life by, and you've gotta put on the new, you gotta put on the truth of God's word. And if we're not involved in that process, it's like trying to drill a hole with a hammer. It is never, ever going to work. And that's why we're stuck. And that's why our lives don't change. And we sit around and we lay in bed and we wonder, what's wrong with God? What's wrong with Christianity? What's wrong with the Bible? And God's like, well, there's nothing wrong with the Bible. I put it in there like a half dozen times, you know. It's not prayer that sets you free. It's truth that sets you free. It's not quiet times. It's not listening to sermons. It's not attending your small group. All great stuff. But that stuff in itself will not transfer your life transform your life. It is a renewed mind that will transform your life. And your mind is renewed as you get rid of the lies that you've lived by for years and you begin to replace them with the truth of God's word. God says, I've given you the tool. I've given you the right tool. I've given you my word. All you have to do is fill your heart and mind with it so that at a moment's notice, as you identify the lie that you're starting to believe, you can counter it with, oh yeah, it is written. Instead of, I know I shouldn't, and I just do it anyway. Now, next weekend, we're going to wrap up this series, and I am, I am going to give you a boatload of truth for very specific things. See, I know all of your temptations and problems. I, know I, just, I wish I did. That'd be, but I am going to give you a lot of answers next weekend, right? It's going to be unbelievable. Do not miss next weekend. I'm going to actually challenge us as a congregation to begin a habit that I've never challenged a congregation that I've pastored in 36 years. I want you to be here. Try, listen, do not miss church to go to the fair. What the heck is wrong with you people? It's out there all week, okay? It's before 4.15 on Saturday and after 7.00. It's after 12 o'clock. This is what I'm going to pray. This was my prayer this week. If you skip church next week to go to the fair, I'm going to pray that you get one of those, one of those barnyard animal diseases. I don't even know what they call. But I'm going to go Old Testament on you, okay? I hope you get a barnyard animal disease, all right? And you'll go home, God, I will never go to the fair again when I should be at church. That's truth, people. It'll set you free. Okay, all right. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for giving us this simple principle. Now we're starting to get what it means to take off the old, to put on the new. We're starting to understand what it means to renew our thinking with the truth of your word so we stop believing the lies that culture and society shouts at us. The world system day in and day out. We hear it in the news. We hear it in the media. We read in our magazines. We get it where we, when we go to work. We get it when we step on the campus. And Father, help us to be prepared with a, it is written when those lies pop into our ears or into our minds so that we can respond. And in that process, our not, minds are being renewed as we are being conformed to the image of your son, Jesus Christ. It's gonna take some work. It's gonna take some commitment. But the alternative is to continue to live a life of guilt and frustration. Father, set us free through your truth. In your most holy name we pray, amen. Thank you, guys. Amen. Look forward to seeing you next week.